Hello, listeners. My name's Al, and I'm one of the co-hosts on Mormon News Roundup. This week, we have a really exciting episode, episode 39, coming at you. Uh, this is where Dives and Rebecca and Landon from the Mormon-ish podcast get together, and they discuss the top 10 Mormon news stories of 2022. I'm not in this episode myself, but I do want to thank them very much for joining Dives, and we hope that you enjoy a year in review from 2022, where Dives and uh, Rebecca and Landon will take you over the top 10 stories. Uh, give us a listen, and thank you very much for joining us. Hey, welcome everybody to the end of the year. Happy New Year to you. It is the end of 2022, and I'm joined by two very special co-hosts. I've got Rebecca and Landon from the Mormonish Podcast. Hey, guys. Hello, how are hey. you doing? Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> Happy New Year to all of you. This is, uh, uh, we're pre-recording this before New Year's, so we can't quite say how your Christmas was, but uh, hopefully everybody's Christmas went well because we're recording this a little bit in advance, right? We're hoping. We're assuming everything is going to go uh, like clockwork. We're hoping. You betcha. And uh, this, uh, you know, this is a joint collaboration between these uh, two ventures here, the Mormonish podcast and the Mormon News Roundup. So, Rebecca, you had a great idea for the name of this particular venture. And what was the name? Yeah, I was thinking, you know, this is a mashup. So let's call it the Mormonish News Roundup Special Edition. <laughs> that is a, that is an extra special victory for Satan, I would say. <laughs> Yeah, without question. So we are going to what we're going to do on this uh, this uh, uh, episode here is we're going to cover the top the the 2022 LDS News Year in review. And if you come on over to the Mormonish uh, uh, website, either on Facebook or on YouTube, you'll be able to see the slides that go along with this. But we're going to include all of the slides and the links to the articles in the show notes. And what we're going to do is we're going to take the top 10 LDS related news stories for the year, and we're going to rank order them. Uh, um, according to the least important to the most important from 10 to 1. Is that is that what we're doing here, guys? That's absolutely that's what we're, we're ready. Doing. Yep. Counting Wonderful. them down. Okay. All right. So we have a, so let's talk about the criteria that we put together for this. And, uh, you know, I've been doing the Mormon News Roundup now for about a year, and this is not really a ranking of what articles are the most interesting because interesting – there's a lot of very interesting articles that I don't think are the most important. There's a difference between importance and interesting. But instead, what, what the top 10 is the articles with the greatest scope, and that is the most amount of eyes that have actually seen the article. That's from members' perspective and uh, so-called non-members or members of other faiths or people who don't have religion altogether. The stories that had the biggest impact, the stories that went viral, that's what we're looking for, right? No, I that's think right. that's it. And and there were several this year. I think this was a big year, a, a really big year. So I think we almost had a hard time choosing um, exactly what the top 10 would be. But I think we've got some good ones. I think we're ready to discuss. Right, Landon? Yeah, it's, a, it's absolutely a subjective topic. Uh, as and, and we did have a few disagreements on which were the biggest. But in, in the end, this is what we've come up with. So uh, we're excited to bring it. Uh, yeah, we uh, unlike the quorum of the 15, we don't have perfect unanimity for this uh, top 10 list, but uh, I think we're pretty close. Uh, there's certainly some room for debate, though, right? Yeah, I, and I think that's why we, we added some categories if we have time of runners up and honorable mentions. So we may get to those, too, if we have enough time. 
You bet. Now, there's a couple of caveats to go along with that, and that's uh, caveat number one, is because the LDS Church is uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because the membership is so small in proportion to the world's total population, you know, less than 1%, uh, the most important Mormon news articles of 2022, they will generally impact members of other faith or the non-religious more than Latter-day Saints themselves. Because if you're looking for what goes viral, if you're looking for scope, if you're looking for impact, it's got to have a wider impact than just in the Brighamite sector only. Yeah, and that's true. Although I think this might be a news item that you're actually announcing that the LDS church is very small. Some people don't know that. <laughs> uh, well, uh, <laughs> that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, we also have another caveat here, and that's because, uh, you know, the uh, Latter-day Saint uh, church membership is so large in proportion to all Mormon-related entities. You know, the church boasts like, you know, 17 million members. The reorganized church, now the Community of Christ, has about 250,000, and there might be another 50,000 people who consider themselves to be Mormons. The, the Brighamite sect really dominates the total number of uh, Mormons out there, so most of the articles are going to relate to the uh, church that that's um, currently headquartered in Salt Lake City. Yeah, I think most of the interesting ones come from the other sects, though. It seems like the smaller <laughs> sects get the, the bigger <laughs> stories. The FLDS and the, uh, the Church of Christ had a few this this the Community of Christ had a few this year, too. So. Yeah, um, you know, what, one thing that didn't make the list, for instance, is that Warren Jeff, uh, just in the last uh, month, he's going to be going back on trial to face additional charges because he's supposed to be uh, paroled. He's up for parole in 2038. And, you know, that's a big story for FLDS. That's probably the number one story of the year. But unfortunately, it doesn't even crack our top 10 because, again, there's only maybe 15,000 uh, FLDS, and that's a very small scope. So unfortunately, that didn't make the top 10. Now, uh, we do have a third caveat here, and that's that, you know, we here on the Mormon News Roundup, we've recorded almost 40 episodes, and uh, we've had guest hosts on uh, half of those episodes. Every single one of those hosts, except for one, has had their own channel or podcast. And guys, this is the first time that I've been, that Al or myself, that we've been invited back. That makes me wonder about the judgment of the Mormonish podcast. Well, I mean, obviously, once we get bigger, I mean, we're brand new. We would never look twice at you guys. But now, <laughs> now we're, we're more than happy to collaborate since we're just starting. So let me get your mind sense. at ease on that. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Now that's all coming into focus. You know, uh, Landon, when we were discussing this, uh, the the top 10, Landon had some uh, different ideas and he you know, kind of pushed back and it was, he had a lot of good thoughts about what the top 10 should be. And we definitely revised it according to what he said. And I thought, can this list be put together in a objective manner. In other words, can we make it a non-subjective, what, what actually is the most important news articles? You know, and I get a Google alert every single day for the top 10 Mormon uh, news stories and the top 10 LDS news stories. I could go back through the entire year and actually do a keyword search and figure out a quantitative way of looking at which ones actually appeared the most amount of times. So could this be done quantitatively? Perhaps, but you also need to understand that, you know, we're the experts in, you know, Mormon culture and Mormon folklore and things. And not everything that is covered by the news media is the most important news articles. So that could get us part way, but our expert analysis here hopefully is going to, um, you know, show what the actual most important articles are, right? Yep, I think we're going to cover it. And, and I think we've done our due diligence behind the scenes. And I think what we're going to present is, is going to be pretty accurate. It's like, okay, a well, so it, it, it comes from inside a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely does. Now, uh, is there any other, uh, I think we covered all the groundwork for yeah. the top 10. Is there anything else that I missed? Or are we ready to jump into the 10th uh, most important news article of the year? Yeah, Let's I think we it. set it up. Let's go. 
Okay, well, the, the number 10 story here that I have for uh, the, the news articles is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the last general conference that announced 18 new houses of the Lord. And that brings the total number. This was back in uh, 2nd of October, 2022. And this is from the church news itself, uh, official uh, the official newsroom of the church. And President Nelson announced 18 additional temples. And that brings the grand note, uh, total to a total of 300 temples. That's a lot of temples, folks. That's a lot of temples. I I would feel like pretty soon they're going to be running out of places that they can announce them that even make sense. I mean, already you have temples that are just, I think, Landon, you live somewhere where there are three temples within two miles of you. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. You can see them all at night. Uh, I can see like four different temples, I think, uh, once they get get them all finished. So yeah, it's definitely, I, I think this is the new status symbols for the uh, uh, for the prophet in the early church, it was how many wives you could collect. And I think it, nowadays it's how many temples can you announce as, <laughs> as the new status symbol? Yeah, I mean, Kevin Pearson, who's the area authority for uh, Utah, and he's probably the most important, in my mind, area authority in the church because, he, you know, he's next to the headquarters there. And I believe that he covers uh, Brigham Young University, for instance. He said that we're talking about uh, that uh, we're, we're thinking about a thousand temples. Is it possible, he said, in my lifetime, and this was just a couple of months ago, I believe, in an area conference where the church apparently is thinking about getting to a thousand temples, which is just a tremendous amount of temples. That, that's well, practically one temple for each member of the church. I, I mean, honestly, if you do the math. <laughs> I, I think they have the money for the temple. Do they have the people to staff it is the question. I mean, you think about that, you know, what, 100 people in a temple a day that you would need? That's, you know, that's 100,000 people a day that would be needed. That that seems like a large number. So well, cash-wise, they've got the money to do it. Well, if you think about the bigger temples like Mount Tibinogos and Salt Lake, yeah, those are manned all the time. But the smaller temples, a lot of them are only on appointment only. So you're not going to need 100 people to man the smaller temples. Good point. Right. That is a good point. And I think a lot of people don't realize that a lot of temples are appointment only. I think they think that they're, you know, 24 hours a day just doing the work. But no, it's true. Appointment only for a lot yeah. of them. Like the Monticello, Utah Temple, that's yes. a, it's probably um, I can't say for certainty, but it's probably only open a few days of the week, uh, mostly in the evening time frame. And the amount of staffing, especially with the fact that, uh, you know, since 1953, I, you know, I run a channel called the Mormon Movie Reviews. And since 1953, the church has started showing videos in a lot of its temples. The amount of ne necessary manpower to staff those temples is greatly uh, is greatly decreased, starting mm -hmm. with the temple endowment video that was shot. Well, it may be fully automated someday. Who knows? One thing I've noticed here in Utah, I mean, it used to be that a temple was sort of set back on a hill in a pristine location. They're throwing them up like right next to the freeway. <laughs> I mean, they are literally right there, almost like a Mick Temple. <laughs> are you like Orem and uh, Taylorsville? Yep. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm talking about. You're just driving along going, oh, there's a temple. And, and maybe that's the point that they're they're seen more. But but back in my day, the temple was, you know, it was set back. It was a very special place that you had to drive to. And now they're just there. Well, I think it's very convenient that you can uh, donate blood right after your endowment session. I mean, it's just right there. I mean, you can also get a payday loan right before you go in in case you need to rent some temple clothes. I think it's very convenient. Which you may need to pay the tithing to allow you to go in. So you're right. right. It's a the... full circle situation. We're, we're yeah, back full to service. blood atonement. Back to blood atonement in the oh, temple. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's that's a, that's a good point. So I think there's like 170 operating temples right now, and you know, with Russell M. Nelson's tenure, you know, he's announced I I, I want to say a hundred just 100, by himself, maybe 118. Yeah. So uh, with the 300 total announced temples, he's going to be responsible for half of that amount just by himself. 
Yeah, that's it's really, really stunning. And we all know at conference time, that is the big, you know, goosebump moment uh, and, and what everyone anticipates. Where will they announce the temple? Will it be in my backyard? Will my land value and housing values go up? I mean, that that's one of the main reasons people watch conference, I think. And yeah, are, are they, they going to start counting how many are finished versus how many are announced as the new status symbol? Because yeah, they don't I think really announce only, that. Yeah, I think they've only done sixty of the hundred eighteen have been actually built. I think some, somewhere in that number. So broken ground, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's taking about between three to four years from the groundbreaking until dedication, which is uh, really um, more than I would have thought. But the amount of time in between groundbreaking and temple dedication is slightly falling. Um, you know, the Widows Might Report did a full analysis about a month ago on uh, temple uh, construction, temple costs, temple maintenance, and things along those lines. If you go over to Widows Might Report on WordPress.com, you'll see that even if the church goes to a thousand temples, uh, which is a tremendous sum, they can still afford that easily because right now the church is spending approximately 10% of its total uh, tithing expenditure. Church brings in five to seven billion dollars in tithing and it's spending about a half a billion dollars a year in temple construction and renovations. And so even if you were to double that number, the church, say, spending 20% of its total annual uh, sums on temples, still very, very doable. So yeah, can we see a thousand? Uh, according to Elder Pearson, we could definitely see it in our lifetime. Yeah, and I think as long as apostles and general authorities have family members in the construction business, the temple building will continue. <laughs> and I intend to visit every single last one of them. Yeah. That's that, it. That's that's. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, now, that's our number 10 article, which I think is very important. Now, our number nine article here um, was uh, dropped. Uh, it was kind of a dual article here that hit uh, just uh, not that long ago, about a month ago. And this was the Canadian uh, church here. This was uh, released uh, uh, in October. The Canadian church, uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, has been under some scrutiny because it was, uh, it was revealed that uh, the church over the last, uh, since about 2000, has funneled from the Canadian tithing donations out of the uh, the country of Canada to BYU, about a billion dollars in tithing expenditures have been taken out. In fact, about 50% of Canadian tithing that has been taken in in the last 20 years has gone directly to the various BYU campuses, the four BYU schools, BYU-Idaho, BYU-Provo, BYU-Hawaii, and Enzyme College. And this was a great surprise, especially to Canadian saints who thought that their money was going for humanitarian purposes in, in the country of Canada. And Canadian authorities are also wondering, well, hey, you know, this money was supposed to be a tax donation, and instead it's going to a mostly American church to benefit very few Canadians, and this has caused quite a stir up in Canada. Yeah, this I, I really has. Um, I had the chance to um, connect with and interview um, Nigel Kennett, who was basically the whistleblower. He was a faithful LDS accountant who was doing some charitable um, bookkeeping for another church, and he thought, oh, I'd like to look in to see what my church is doing and because the laws are transparent in Canada that's a difference between Canada and other countries this is why I think this all came to light he just kind of took a look and this was years ago actually that he discovered this and he thought well this is very unusual and he tried to go to various church leaders and and ask their take on it what do you think is happening no one he had any answers and finally he turned his information over to um, some of the bigger news organizations in Canada because he thought, well, if there's something here, you know, they'll run with it. If not, they'll say, oh, nothing here. Well, obviously, we see there was something there. So it was it was quite a story. Yeah, I, I did a little math on this and uh, I, I looked up. There's about uh, 1400 Canadians attending uh, BYU or church schools. 
And when you consider that they're there for four years, some maybe for longer. So I broke it up. I figured over that 10 years, there's about 3,500 Canadians uh, that, that attended BYU. And uh, when you break that out, a billion dollars divided by 3,500, I'm hoping my numbers are right because my calculator doesn't do billions. Uh, but that comes out to $285,715 per student that the Canadians are donating for, uh, for to BYU. I don't know why they'd have a problem with that. Not not at all. <laughs> you send every one of them full ride to, to Harvard or Yale for that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you know, I was clearly I was born in the wrong country. You know, yeah. that's for sure. Clearly. You know, clearly. <laughs> uh, I really missed out on that one. Talk about, uh, you know, the, the the church members get a discount at, uh, at going to BYU if you're a member of the church. But that's a discount that I don't think that anybody really realized. No, no that's I, incredible. I, and I think, and. Yeah. You said something interesting, Landon. Do calculators really not go to a billion? How do they calculate things at Ensign Peak? I'm trying to picture. Do they have two calculators? Do they? I mean, we're dealing in the bigger numbers. You know, there's nothing smaller than a billion there. So, yeah, it's definitely. I, I have to question, you know, the fairness of that when you look at, you know, if you're a Canadian student not attending BYU, you're actually, uh, if if you're attending a Canadian university, for instance you're subsidizing the people who are going to BYU with your tithing money while you're getting no subsidy at all while you're attending a Canadian school. So there, there's definitely that uh, offset as a student where you say, well, why am I paying to, to help someone else go to school while I'm paying the full cost of my own my own tuition. So Yeah, this is really a dual article here because at the same week that the Canadian tax uh, donations that went from church members in Canada to BYU, we also had an Australian uh, somewhat of a, a, a dust up there where former members are filing a class action in Australia uh, alleging that the church is involved with tax evasion and fraud. And LDS Charities Australia is behaving in a very questionable manner um, uh, in particular. Um, you guys, Did you guys see that article? Yeah, we definitely did. And I think it's interesting that Canada and Australia both have very transparent laws as far as charitable giving. And the two countries where the laws are a little more see-through, the church is doing a little something questionable. I think in Canada, the question is, it's legal but not ethical, perhaps. I think in Australia, I think there really are some some serious legal issues. So I think Australia will, will have more legs going forward. And I also think the Australia one, uh, it's not just the church involved. I think they kind of put the members at risk because right. the members are writing that off as a as a tax deductible donation because it's going to a charity. But I don't think they knew it was going to a charity. They thought they were paying tithing to their church, which would not be a tax deduction. Therefore, if they're making a claim to as a tax deduction when they think they're uh, donating to a church, that could put possibly the members at risk, not just the church. But obviously, one of the requirements in Australia was that it had to be overseen by Australians, and there's only one person on that on the listed on the uh, charity that they set up, and it's clear that the money is being managed from Salt Lake and not from inside Australia. There's no way you manage hundred a hundred bill a hundred million dollars or whatever it is that they they're doing like seventy million a year. Yeah, yeah, seventy million with one person uh, just doesn't yeah. 
with, with no paid staff whatsoever, with only a small uh, uh, sortie of volunteers. And the only receive tax, de tax deductions in Australia, if you can prove that your charity is actually having a certain amount of allocations to benefit Australians. And so if you're bringing in $70 million a year in Australian tithing, uh, a lot of uh, former members and even members of the government have said, well, we're not seeing that would make LDS Charities Australia one of the top charities in Australia. You'd expect to see a huge amount of outlay. And they're saying, we're not seeing it. We don't see the soup kitchens. We don't see the orphanages. We don't see the schools. We don't see the food pantries. We don't see what $70 million should be seeing. Therefore, the tax, uh, you know, tax uh, exempt status of Australia is being greatly called in, potentially called into question. Well, I think the problem is that they're not looking for those things uh, with their spiritual eyes. If they were to do that, they would <laughs> clearly see that everything's fine. So uh, The eye of faith. Yeah, yes. Exactly. Ah, the eye of faith. <laughs> See, you're on a higher spiritual plane than the rest of us, Rebecca. Obviously, everyone knows it. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, true. I mean, so, we don't no. even I don't even consider these things. So that's uh, that's why we bring you on the program yeah. is because, you know, you 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 really elevate the the the, dis the discourse of this podcast. Ah, well, well, thank you so much. No, I'm sure we have not seen the end of the Australian uh part to this, no. this saga. I'm sure there's going to be more that comes out. So. Yeah, and especially the saints who paid the tithing, they said, I was paying it under the guise specifically mm -hmm. um, that it was going to be doing charitable work, and it appears that it was not. I mean, we don't know that for certain, but all intents and purposes, it appears that it wasn't. And if you're paying uh, in a, uh, under a fraudulent manner, then you can get your tithing back. See, a, a lot of members in the church, many members have tried to sue the church in the, in the U.S. to say, I want my tithing back for various reasons. Almost none of them have very, very been successful, including the Huntsman lawsuit. But that's the difference. Australia is an extremely secular society and um, they're not going to put up with the uh, shenanigans of uh, you know saying that we're technically following the law or any any type of shell games they're going to come down on that and i wouldn't be surprised if you were to see some tithing refunds there that would be incredible i never thought i would live to see the day that would be amazing if that actually happened yeah, I don't think you'll ever see it in the United States just because of no. the nature of our country. But no. uh, if, it, if, it, if there is ever a case that it will happen, I think it's going to be in the Australia case here. Anything else on this? Uh, our, uh, that's our number nine on the list. Anything else on this one? No, I think we covered it. So okay, I, I, actually, I would like to say that Nigel Kennett, Canadian whistleblower, is a really nice guy. Uh, he's been thrown under the bus a little bit, but he's a very nice guy. So that's my little plug for him. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. Now, our number eight story here is that the church uh, was revealed to be the number one holder of real estate. And this was from the Truth and Transparency Organization. This organization originally started as Mormon Leaks. Uh, way back in, uh, was it 2012, I want to say? I don't know that for a certainty, but uh, you know, they were the ones who brought us those leaked documents of the general authorities in uh, church headquarters and also some pay stubs uh, of general authorities and a few other uh, Mormon leaked documents. Unfortunately, Mormon leaks didn't really catch on very well. It caught on a little bit, but not enough. They eventually turned into the Truth and Transparency Organization, and that organization, their final, uh, their final article is where they did an investigation into the land holdings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and they have concluded Exclusively and definitively shown that the church is the number one private holder of real estate in the United States, um, which really blew a lot of people's minds and confirmed what a lot of people may have suspected. But now we have solid evidence. Yeah, I think when this first came on my radar is when I was reading about how the church was in a bidding war 
with Bill Gates over some farmland in, I believe, Eastern Oregon. And I just remember thinking, okay, so that's that's the level that we're playing at. We're And we actually won. The church actually did outbid uh, Bill Gates and, and was able to get that land. But I, I was looking that up a little bit last night. Um, I read that um, 1.7 million acres held by identified LDS church firms, 1.7 million acres. Again, I don't think we can really wrap our brain around how much that is. And and you also have to question, uh, you know, what does that do for the value of land and for government taxes? Because the government's able, because the church is able to claim this as, you know, so Bill Gates would have been paying Mm -hmm. uh, property tax on yep. that. The church can claim that it's for a nonprofit and not pay property taxes, which takes money away from the local economy. It takes money away from the local government and their ability to provide services. So in a sense, the, the taxpayer is, is funding the church's land uh, by everyone else having to pay the taxes that they would otherwise uh, have received in property taxes. And I know here in Utah, that's got to be a huge deal where the church has so much land and they're not paying property tax on a lot of that. And then they're able to convert it when it does become where they want to sell it for land, uh, you know, for housing or whatever. So they can they can use utilize that land tax free. And then when they're ready to develop it, then they then they move it to their uh, corporate side and then they have to pay taxes at that point. But they, they were able to, to, to use it tax free until they got to that point where it was a value. Yeah, so we, we have the confirmed amount of real estate holdings. So the truth and transparency is not absolutely exhaustive. And the, the Widow's Might Report went back in and looked at uh, a lot of the church records as well. And they have uh, uh, postulated, and I think it's a very solid postulation, the amount of real estate holdings for the church is probably somewhere in the neighborhood of around $100 billion, whereas Ensign Peak is maybe around $150 billion, give or take, depending on the stock market. If you look at the Widow's Might Report, you're talking about real estate right around $100 billion, which is really... It's really mind blowing. I mean, if you think back to Joseph Smith, I just went to the Palmyra. I did a church history tour just recently in Palmyra, and I stood in the in the log cabin where in 1823 Joseph said that Moroni came and visited him in that upper room. And if you just look at the difference between where it all started, which was in that tiny cabin, versus where we are now, which is a hundred billion dollars in real estate holdings, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's shocking. We um, Landon and I interviewed somebody on Mormonish a few weeks ago who had been trying to donate five acres to the church. And to him, this this person, it was a big deal. And he was meeting with the, the church lawyers or, or the real estate arm, and he was going to give, you know, they were going to sign over the acreage. And he said that the people in the room were like on their phones, they oh, you donate some land, or whatever. And finally, our friend said, hey, I'm trying to donate five acres. Do you guys care? Because they're just completely distracted. And they said, <laughs> well, frankly, I mean, we just closed on and they listed, do you remember landing the places? Like, yeah, they were, they were like uh, big apartment, luxury apartments in yeah. like, uh, Europe. Uh, yeah. They rattled off all these amazing holdings that they had just closed on and basically said, huh, to our friend. And so he said, okay and walked out the door. And at that point they put their phones down. They were like, wait, what? And he goes, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not giving Rebecca. you my acreage, you know? And he was a faithful LDS at the time, but he was just 
floored that they could care less, you know, that he was, he was doing this thing that, you know, was important to him. And, and they were just bragging about what they had just barely closed on. So it interesting seems, anecdotal uh, story there. Yeah. It seems to me that your friend needs a little more faith, Rebecca. That's really what it comes <laughs> well, down to. I think he's since left the church. So yes, he definitely needs some more faith. <laughs> uh, yeah. And what was, what, what was really concerning to him is he was saying, where, what, what, what do you do with all this money that you get from all these high-end rents yeah. and these malls and these other places? And they said, oh, it all goes back to the church. And he went, well, it's not going to the budget in my ward. Where is this money going? And really, it's just going for more investments is what they right. They do just kept they saying to the, the church, to, to the, the church, church yeah. to the church. So, yeah, I mean, the average uh, North American ward budget is probably around fifteen thousand dollars for the entire ward budget. Yeah. But the entire the average North American uh, uh, a congregation, not a branch of congregation, probably sends about a half a million dollars to Salt Lake City. So yeah. we're talking about a 50 to one, you know, a 50 to one difference here. Oh, yeah. No, wards are member funded. I mean, how many how many crayons did I buy for my primary kids? How many supplies, you know, out of my own pocket? And everyone was doing that. Wards are funded by the members. Yeah, I mean, also, if you think about uh, uh, the way that LDS Philanthropies is set up, it's a brilliant or uh, brilliant organization, and it's very well uh, not well understood. Is that when a lot of people die, they leave their an inheritance to the church instead of leaving it to their children. And there's also, while you're alive, the church will you can s sign over your farm or your apartment complex or whatever it is that you have over to the church. They will give you an annuity until you die as a guaranteed income, and then when you die, that property goes from your trust to the church. And that's how you become a real estate kingpin is by taking them, taking those properties from members either before they die or when they pass away. Yep. No, they're very mobilized to do that. And I work in finance and I um, deal as a liaison between our clients and the church offices. And I have paperwork in my desk right now to help everybody sign everything away and make the church their beneficiary. And my own parents have given mineral rights um, to the church. Um, so yeah, I'm very familiar and I have to just kind of let it go because it's a real sore spot with me. <laughs> hey, can you send me that paperwork? I need a copy of that. I just make oh, it expedited for me. I'll make oh, it easy really? for me. Oh, yeah. Okay. Can you forward that I on to me after the show? I don't know in good conscience if I can do it. I have a really what? hard time doing it professionally. I'm oh. such a hard time. But they, yeah. they do have that video they released to tell you how to do it if your kids right. aren't in in line yep. with the church. Uh, I guess yeah. they pulled that, but it's still out there. Yep. Well, it's Cut called it's off. called no that that video, Landon, is called Journey to Become, and I did a yes. review of that video on Mormon Movie yeah. Reviews, uh, Journey to Become, to uh, Become, released in 2013. Should go check it out because my my review of that is one of my favorites. It's a great video. Must. See. Absolutely must see. Yeah. Anything else on this article here of the church being the number one holder of real estate? <sighs> no, I think it's just making me cranky. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I could say a lot more about this. I like to talk about this, but uh, yeah, I'll just say one last thing about this is that you occasionally see on Reddit or some other forums where people show that the LDS church has, has listing particular chapels and some, especially ex-Mormons seem to want to rejoice in the, the, these chapels that are being listed for sale, showing that the church is shrinking. But you need to understand that when we went to two hour church, that meant that the need for a number of congregations was greatly reduced. Average chapels used to be that you could only max it out with three with two hour church you can have far more congregations fit into the same chapel so the church need for chapel level real estate has fallen dramatically with the two hour church yeah no and i know that's true because my own stake um split and there was land set aside we were going to get a stake building 
And then suddenly we weren't. They said, no, you're going to share this building or you're going to go over here. So, and I mean, it was, the plans were drawn. It was ready to be built. And then they dialed it back. So I think we're seeing that everywhere. Yeah, and Ryan Burge just released actually just yesterday uh, a graphic that shows the the uh, more the the people in Utah who affiliate themselves as Latter Day Saints in every single county in Utah from the census from the 2010 census to the 2020 census every single county in Utah the number of self affiliated Latter Day Saints fell and the average falling was approximately 10 to 12 percent so I mean. It is what it is. Let's keep on going, though. We could talk about this all day. Number seven okay. here is uh, the National Press Club. Elder Bednar responds to questions about church finances and the portrayal of the church in the media. This was back. He, he gave the National Press Club briefing back in uh, May of uh, May 17, 2022. This was in conjunction with the reopening of the Washington, D.C. Temple, which was being refurbished for four years. This is the only time in 2022 that uh, a senior church leader took direct questions from what he called the snarky media he called them snarky and so-called hostile questioners and is the only time that a senior church leader has taken any questions from anyone of substance since dallin h oaks in virginia in 2021 there was huge valuable takeaways to this particular uh to this particular luncheon and i would say that this is the single most important mormon top uh talk of the year yeah, and, and I would say that one man's snarky media is just a truth-seeking uh, person asking regular questions. So <laughs> you can take it how you want. Yeah, I I, I agree. This was really uh, the, the the stunning thing to me is how little members get to uh, are able to question the general authorities and especially an apostle. It's amazing that they, they'd rather take questions from the national media than from their own membership. Uh, I was on Reddit as, as they uh, were doing this. And I saw that uh, many people were, some of the reporters were asking, send us questions and people were sending in questions and some of them actually got asked. Unfortunately, I don't think the media knew enough uh, to, to do the follow-up questions when they got an answer that was a little less than, than forthright. Uh, but uh, overall, uh, they did they did push him on some good questions i thought uh he did kind of whitewash a few like his uh his uh, deferring on the uh 100 billion dollars and calling it 100 million dollars uh was a little suspicious to me but uh he he was forced to answer some of that well, he look on um, the hundred billion to hundred million. I really think that that was just a gaff because if you go back to the church corrected it in the Deseret News, they corrected the million instead of saying Enzyme Peak at a hundred million. They corrected it in print, and it, in the YouTube version, they dubbed in the word billion so that there would be no question. So I really think that the church did the right thing in um, in that particular gaff, and that was basically the only gaff. I thought that he did a great job of answering direct questions. In my opinion, those are the best responses that we're going to get on women in the priesthood on gays in the temple on church humanitarian outlook this is the future glimpse into the future prophet in 12 to 15 years from from now this is going to be the prophet and this is a great look into his mind and in my opinion is the must-see talk of the year no i agree and i think that's the reason he was the one that did it i mean by the time he is the prophet and he will by all accounts be the prophet for quite a number of years i mean you're going to have to answer questions. Transparency will only increase and nobody is going to be satisfied um, with with anything less than that kind of full transparency. So also going back to the, the gap of the numbers, I feel that our little brains can't even comprehend the difference between millions and billions. I don't think we can comprehend how much money that is. So billion, 
million, million. I just don't think we can understand it. So I don't think it mattered what he said. But I also liked how <laughs> when he was asked about Under the Banner of Heaven, um, he just basically said, oh, we don't have time to watch TV. You know, so he did brush aside some things that that could have been more revealing answers. But I understand his reasoning behind that. Yeah, speaking, we're going to get to the Under the Banner of Heaven, yeah. and the church did somewhat respond to the Under the Banner of Heaven. They did not do a direct response, but they did do a response back to John Krakauer when he released the book. I believe it was back in 2003. Yeah. They did do an official response already to the book, so they didn't dignify the actual series with a response, except with one caveat. They they interviewed uh, Rebecca uh, – no, I'm sorry, not Rebecca. They interviewed Brenda Lafferty's sister, who said that she thought that the series was an atrocity and was a desecration to her family's memory. So they brought that out into the Deseret News, and that was basically the only official response we got for Under the Banner of Heaven. Yeah, that's true. We followed it very closely, so we looked at all those different articles, and, and yeah, the church definitely – just sort of hmm, tried to pretend it didn't exist. Yeah, and El speaking just to wrap up this uh, this particular one, Elder Bednar from released audios and from kind of smuggled in hidden cameras, he does more questions and answers as a senior leader of the church than every other leader combined from the Quorum of the Fifteen and the presiding bishopric. He is not afraid. He's an academic. He's got a PhD from Purdue. He's no dodo. He's a smart smart guy and he's not afraid to tangle and mix it up with people and uh, i i for one um can't wait until he's the head of the church I, i'm looking forward to that time because the the amount of answers that we got from the national press club briefing were really really valuable and if that's what we see under his tenure is more transparency uh, it's a great step forward yep i think so too and as long as he gets his ducks in a row his, in a row as far as plagiarism and that kind of thing he'll be fine <laughs> going forward you just got to work on those little issues there it's all, you're always a naysayer, Rebecca. You know, I'm that. not a naysayer. I'm a pot stirrer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he does have so he does he does need to work on that just a little bit. A one little. would expect that a president of a university and a former dean of uh, in Arkansas might be able to uh, follow MLA and have his proper citations. One would assume and hope. You would hope. You know. I hope so. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm sure he's. I for one have great confidence that he's going to do better in the future. So, okay, so that's good on uh, number seven. Hey, we're down to number six here. The number six article um, is uh, Boy Scout ruling threatens $250 million abuse deal with the Mormons. This was from Bloomberg. Now, the, the, the Boy Scout story of the abused uh, scouts uh, was originally broke in November of 2021. So what is it doing as an important story in 2022? Because there's been no payouts during that intervening time frame. Well, what happened is the Boy Scouts in 2022, they declared bankruptcy. They went before a judge. I believe it was in Delaware. And they said, hey, we need to declare bankruptcy. We have um, all of these different congregations that were affiliated with Methodists, and they're going to kick in a certain amount of money. Latter-day Saints, they're going to kick in a certain amount of money. And we're going to be able to declare bankruptcy and have all of these sex scandals that are going to be paid for because these certain individuals and insurers are going to cover all this for us. So please let us go into bankruptcy because we're going to cover all this. Well, the judge took a look at that and said, well, we don't think that considering the fact that there's approximately 80,000 Latter-day Saint uh, Boy Scouts, as memory serves, who were abused during this time frame, that the $250 million that the church set aside, plus the church's insurer, which was approximately $750 million, we don't think a billion dollars is going to be enough to cover those 80,000 scouts. So you'll be able to have bankruptcy, but we're going to set aside the LDS portion of this because we think that that amount is going to be more, more than a billion. Well, that's a thousand temple maintenance uh, there. <laughs> yeah, that, no, and there that... were some other issues, of course, about um, some of the 
legal ease that was mm -hmm. included. I think Landon, we were talking about that. I think Landon has a better thought on that than I do. Yeah, just uh, the fact the church tried to tried to get away with uh, saying not only uh, can the boy by by accepting this, they said we can't be sued if some someone was uh, sexually abused in the church separate from scouts. So they tried to cover all youth, the, the young women, the uh, the young men, Sunday school. They wanted to wrap it all that if you're going to sue us, you have to go through this route and tried to, to offset that. And I think with the, uh, uh, the notice that the church has as much money as they have, that nobody really had any idea that they had, this really opens up some problems because they are, you know, if, if you're going to punish somebody uh, that has hundreds of billions of dollars, you're going to be getting damages around 250 million for each case possibly. Mm -hmm. So this was huge. And I think, I think the judge had his law merit badge and said, no, no, I'm not going to allow this. You, you, you are still responsible for those, uh, those other cases and, and you're, you're not going to get away with wrapping them into this. Absolutely. You know, I went through the Boy Scout program as a youth uh, with the church and, you know, I made sure that I got the clean the chapel merit badge. That was my favorite merit badge to get. That's very important. <laughs> I think it's required for Eagle, but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think that under the new rules, they may have done that. Uh, I, definitely now that they've gotten rid of the scout program, it's definitely part of the program uh, to clean the church and do those things. So. Yeah. Well, now they're making the missionaries do it. My son is on a mission and it seems like all the pictures that we get is him cheerfully holding up a bottle of that Deseret cleaner and a sponge. And I mean, he never cleaned anything at home, but apparently he's now out there serving the Lord by cleaning bathrooms. What is He is going to be so blessed, Rebecca. He's just that. the blessings are just there. And they're going to come that. to you too. He's blessed. <laughs> he's literally blessing you. I feel that way. He's not here cleaning my toilets, but he is cleaning some by proxy. He's cleaning the toilet. And I'm receiving the benefit. So it's for good. for and in behalf of his mother. There, there you go. Right. That that that's a great that's a great plan. Proxy proxy cleaning from proxy from toilet cleaning. That's Okay, well, we better move on because uh, we got the, the Boy Scouts abuse on here, and we're talking about toilet cleaning here. Oh, now, this here this go. next article here, uh, Rebecca, I think you should take the lead. I mean, you did a lot on this, right? I, I was very interested in this. Absolutely. And so a daguerreotype, is that, am I pronouncing it correctly? There are so many different ways to say it. I think we all learned that new word. Um, but a um, likeness of Joseph Smith, which they believe is actually accurate, um, was discovered over in the, um, the RLDS. So by, by some of the descendants and um, it appeared in the, I have the journal here, the John Whitmer Historical um, Journal, but they really do believe that this is an actual likeness, which, you know, I spent a long time just looking at it going, wow, there you are, you know, so interesting. So um, every, of course, LDS newspaper articles and sources, they're on the fence. They're never, I think, going to come out and say this actually is it. But in all other academia, they feel like this, this really is a big story. Yeah, yeah I really, mean, Emil, go ahead. Sorry, Lana. It, it really puts a human face to him, uh, and and so you, you you get to look at that and say, "Wow, yeah." Like like Rebecca said, there you are. There uh, you we've are. seen all the all the church paintings and all the different things of, the, of how they show him, and they always get to show him how they 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 get to tell the narrative through the through the artwork, and and you yeah. get this picture of him. But here, you just get to look straight into his eyes and say, "Hmm, this is the guy that that uh, you know I." 
I believed as a prophet for so long. Uh, for yeah. me, others still look at that and, and say that that's their prophet. So, well, it's kind of sad because Kendall Joseph Smith, which I think a lot of the paintings and in the curriculum, you know, he's gorgeous blonde hair and piercing blue, you know, like a Kendall. You know, I think that's what a lot of people think in their mind that is Joseph Smith to them. And now that's not exactly it. So I, I have to say, I, I lament the demise of Kendall Joseph Smith. Well, we'll just have to move the Ken doll over to Alvin Smith because we know Alvin oh. was probably one of the greatest humans that's ever lived. So we'll of just have to sh we'll have to shift it over. You know, millions shall know, Brother Joseph. Again, this is literally for me. It's like hashtag a voice from the dust. I mean, yep. it really means a lot to, as you said, to just sit there and ponder it and, and think yep. about it. And really, there's a relationship when you have a real picture of a person. Mm -hmm. It makes it so human. It makes it so visceral. You, you really get to see, look into his eyes, not what somebody else thought it was, but try to have your own relationship with Joseph Smith, who uh, was one of the greatest uh, you know, uh, religious leaders of our time. And I think the church learned its lesson from the Mark Hoffman sa uh, scandals yeah. in that they're, they're not going to rush out and say, okay, this is good to go, because um, you know they kind of learned, they've gotten their hand cut on the cookie jar or burned on the fire so many times in the past and there's there's a high degree of confidence in the legitimacy unlike yeah. some of the other daguerreotypes and, and pictures that we've seen it's really the the providence on this is pretty good and i, I just want to make a last note that this is the only article that really came from the rlds or the community of christ tradition that makes the top 10 um but it's just it's just such an exciting article and, and well, they did their homework that you know they 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 really spent some time trying to make yeah. sure that this was was right they did their homework it wasn't just you know someone saying we think this is him they they did a lot of a lot of forensic work to to determine yeah and they waited years him. to release it i mean i think a lot of people misunderstood and thought oh they just found it no they did quite a bit of work and now they're revisiting some of the other pictures like the scanlan picture which i right away said oh my gosh this is the same i did my own little forensics which is you know on my phone just zooming in and i felt like it was the same so i i think there's going to be some things coming out um in the future that may prove uh, that that picture is also a picture of joseph smith and i feel that perhaps Perhaps now that we have a likeness, maybe more will, you know, people will start looking through things and going, wait a minute, this picture of someone in a general's costume smoking a, a cigar, that is Joseph Smith. So we may see some pictures even in the future. It may make our top 10 in years to come. We'll see. We were just wishing that he was smiling so we could see the chip tooth. If the chip tooth was there, that would be a that would give a it away. That, that whistle that he he talked with yeah. after he lost the tooth when he was tarred and feathered. So that yeah. that would be a definite giveaway. Uh, but they don't smile back then, unfortunately. So no. Very exciting stuff, though, that's for sure. Yeah, and yeah. our number four article here is, uh, and this was one that Landon, he did push back on me just a little bit on it, and maybe he will do so again. But I feel like I'm in, uh, I, I feel like I'm in good company here with uh, Inside the Latter-day Saints, Washington, D.C. Temple. This was back on in April of 2022. I guess these are all in 2022. I don't know why I need to say the year, but the Washington, D.C. Temple reopens. And I know that this is not a new temple, but this was a really, really important event. And I know I have a bias. I serve my mission in Washington, D.C., and I live in Washington, D.C. This is my temple, and I actually went through the open house. I have a lot of very powerful memories inside of this temple. Um, it's probably my favorite temple, so maybe I have a bias. Landon probably detected that, but I really think that this is important, and let me tell you why. First of all, when the, the, the temple was reopened after four years of renovation, that is the longest renovation of any temple, unless you want to count the Samoa Temple, which was burned to the ground, which also took four years. And it's the first time that Russell M. Nelson left Utah since 2019. Not, not even... He, I mean, he hasn't left the state in three years. He came out for this temple dedication. In fact, 
all three members of the First Presidency came out to dedicate this temple, and that's the first time that that's happened since they dedicated the Italy Temple in 2019. So I, I really feel like this is an important article. <laughs> yeah, you you actually convinced me. Uh, I, I originally, because I'm I'm West Coast, I'm Utah. Uh, you know, it wasn't that big a deal in Utah because you know we've got temples under renovation constantly uh, and reopening. But uh, once you once you laid out that you know the the entire first presidency went out and how many apostles were there you mentioned for for weeks giving tours to dignitaries uh it, you definitely showed it and to me it kind of shows you know you're you're always told that we're all equal in the in the eyes of the lord but i i i don't think that's necessarily true i think that kind of shows this that they were able to showcase this to the big wigs and they were going to make a, a show of it and and it it probably was more important than i gave cre credit to and i think you convinced me that this was truly a, a big a big issue this year well yeah, and I mean, let's not forget it's the surrender dorothy temple yes. so <laughs> it is very notable and it's made its way into memes everywhere so it is a big deal yeah, in some ways, the Washington, D.C. temple is even more important than the Salt Lake City temple. I mean, you had numerous ambassadors, public figures, people who came through the apostles. Elder Cook was here. Elder Bednar was here. They were here for weeks. The Relief Society president was here. They had former uh, senators uh, who are LDS members give these tours because you can't just have a – no offense. My sister served a mission at the visitor center in Washington, D.C. You can't have my sister giving the ambassador of Turkey a tour. That is not a like-to-like -like person. You had to roll out the red carpet they brought out a huge entourage this was a big deal this was significant mainstream media coverage for months remember after trump after trump uh after his administration ended there was a lull in media coverage because biden he's not a controversial person so you're looking the news the news media out here on the east coast they're looking for these type of stories this was covered every single day for weeks the temple open house for the washington dc's temple it set record after record the most amount of people who went through a temple in one day i think it was 25,000 people went through in one day and i think there was something like 400,000 went through all, all total i don't know if those numbers are perfect but it set records for individual attendance and total attendance and this is the most important thing this is why this is in number four it's because this is the only article out of all 10 that actually went international believe me the people in china they don't really care about mormons i'm, I'm they just don't there's not very many mormons and this is just a little quirky religion in 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 the western united states and, and the same with people in in india there's only one stake in india and there's only like 35 congregations so this is the only one that went global that was covered by israel that was covered in china that because all of the people drive past 495 in the beltway in washington dc and see this amazing incredible temple and uh it's probably the church's most important temple did you attend the open house since you're yeah, there you bet. I went through the open house and I, I had an episode on that, but I was looking very carefully. I had some inside sources who said that the mural, that there was a big mural in the beginning of the temple when you very go over the causeway. That mural is very controversial because it shows Jesus with his right hand up with all of the people that are going up to heaven. And then he has his left hand down showing all the people who are going down to hell. And when people are going through in a visitor center and thinking, oh my gosh, there's all these people going to hell, uh, that's very controversial. So before they reopened the temple, they took out the mural and they replaced it with a uh, mural that is much more politically correct. I could tell you more about that story, but yeah, they've taken all the murals out of all temples because of that very reason is because some of these old murals, they are not very politically correct. Wow. wow. Yes, that whole right hand, left hand thing, you know. You think in they, Washington, D.C., they just both be down, uh, cover all those <laughs> politicians. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, very, very well might could be. I, yeah. I just, I, I don't think I can uh, emphasize how much this, because the open houses were given for weeks and weeks on end and how many people went through and how much buzz this caused. It just, it was international and it's the only one, not our, any of our other top three went international. So this one definitely can't go lower. It could arguably go higher. So I'm trying to make my case here. I told you I have a bias, but <laughs> there you have it. I think it's all right. This show's all about bias. So is this temple by appointment only, or is it fully functioning, working around the clock? Is it? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a working around the clock. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, there's, there's a plenty of members around here that can staff this thing all the time. You know, there's, there's a lot of members. Hmm. Yeah. The Virginia you know? area is known for the a large, large LDS population. So. Yeah, I mean, it's got the it's got seven stories. It's over a hundred thousand square feet. It's the first temple that was built uh, on the western uh, United States after Nauvoo was burned to the ground. Not counting Kirtland, it's the first one that opened back up in the western, uh, excuse me, in the eastern United States. Um, and you know, it was a big linchpin for so many years. Um, you know, the church actually released. Uh, I could talk about this temple all day because it's a big temple. But the church, this was one of the only temples that I'm aware of that the church said how much it cost to build it. They claimed in 1974, there's a church video on hard to find Mormon videos, that this vi that this temple cost $15 million to make in 1974. Now, I don't really necessarily believe that that's the accurate number, but we do have a figure for this temple, and it's the only one that I'm aware of that the church has released the cost. And what is the cost? F uh, $15 million. They oh, just that, that one. Okay, not the current renovation or anything. Yeah. Oh, the current renovation was probably a million dollars a month for four years. Oh, yeah. Probably cost more to renovate this temple than it did to build it initially. Oh, absolutely. And then the new furnishings. I mean, we're hearing reports of a single vase costing, you know, almost $500,000. You know, I mean, they definitely want to make right, a showing yeah. with that. The Widows Might sure. Report estimates that uh, church construction is approximately $1,100 per uh, square foot for new for new temple. Construction is $1,100 per square foot. This is, a, well, I think, a 120,000 square foot temple. If you do the math, that puts this temple at around $150 million, not 15. Okay, so the numbers are way different. Hmm. I mean, the commercial real estate average in the United States for commercial real estate is $500 per square foot. So if you have a $100,000 square foot temple at $500 per square foot, that's $50 million there alone. But we know that this isn't a commercial average. There's luxurious accommodations throughout the entire thing. You know, uh, Egyptian pine and, and silver, uh, silk, uh, silk car carpeting. There's no way this thing costs $15 million, okay? Mm -hmm. I, I, sorry, there's a big tangent, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, it's let's very keep on interesting. Going. Very telling. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I, I could talk a lot sure. about this temple, but uh, let's keep on going. We got to get down to number three here. Okay. Number three, the number three article for the year. Uh, this is again, mostly according to me. And if you, if I'm wrong, then just let me know. Uh, Andrew Garfield talks Mormonism's beauty and terrible problems ahead of under the banner of heaven premiere. So this was released on uh, FX and it was produced by Hulu and Andrew Garfield. Of course, he's the one who uh, probably best known for his role on Spider-Man. And also he was Oscar nominated for Tick, Tick, Boom. He's uh, done a lot of these type of uh, religious leader roles. And this really, um, you know, it dominated the news cycle for almost three months because there was seven episodes released week after week and it just kept getting it is a huge build up to this thing and perhaps this is the mormon story that was viewed by more people than any other story and it's probably the most watched or talked about mormon media event of the year yeah i think that's true over on uh, mormon media reviews with steve pinecker we did um i'm his little co-host over there every once in a while and we did a blow by blow as the episodes came out because as you had mentioned before they didn't come out all at once like you had to wait week to week you know it was very exciting so and one of the misconceptions about it um the first couple episodes they seem to get a lot of things wrong kind of mm -hmm. about mormon the way they 
spoke and the way they looked and the way they acted. So a lot of people thought, oh, there was no, uh, there were no Mormons consulted or anything on it. And that was true for the first couple of episodes. But then Lindsay Hansen Park, who we interviewed, got involved. And from that point on, I, I think things, you know, I think there was accuracy because she was very heavily involved as a consultant. So she has some really interesting stories to tell about, about consulting on that. So but yeah, huge story and talked about around the water cooler, I think by people who were not Mormon, they just saw that what is this crazy show? You know, what is happening? Who are these Lafferty's? And I think people had been aware of the Lafferty's. Um, I think that was also in the media when, when all of that happened back in the day. I was actually at BYU uh, when the murders occurred. So of course it was a big story in Utah and a big story everywhere. And, you know, I just think there's a taste for true crime regardless i mean look at netflix everything's a true crime story so and this happened to be a mormon one i think this was really a polarizing show it seemed like everyone either loved it or hated it mm -hmm. uh, we actually read the book as part of our uh, the book club that uh, rebecca and i are part of the good book club and I, the book was really was really strong i, I really liked the book uh in the show they had to take a lot of you know to show something in a in a and to people who'd never been familiar with the church and you had to, you had to take some artistic license to fit it in the time frames. And I thought a lot of the flashbacks that a lot of people who weren't familiar with the church may not have understood them uh, as they'd flash back because they didn't have the background of Mormon uh, Mount Meadows massacre and that kind of stuff. So in one sense, I was a little disappointed in that. The, the last two episodes really uh, brought it around to me where uh, there was the internal struggle uh, for, you know, how how's he going to deal with this and how's he now going to continue in the church and, and with his family when he knows what he knows. And I think that's a struggle a lot of at least post-Mormon struggle with and could really relate to. So the, the last two episodes really saved it for me, but I, I think it was a very polarizing show. Absolutely. You know, I run a channel over on uh, YouTube called uh, Mormon Movie Reviews. We reviewed every single episode of Under the Banner of Heaven. So if you want to come over and see my complete thoughts on that, then uh, you, you can head on over to that. Um, any other thoughts on Under the Banner of Heaven before we get to our final two? Um, I was going to say that one thing people criticize it for by saying, oh, this doesn't represent the church, but it was the church in the 80s. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of things they portrayed, you know, I mean, I grew up in the church in the 70s and 80s, and a lot of things were accurate. We did wear pioneer dresses on Pioneer Day, and, and you know, we did talk about Heavenly Father all the time. And so I think it was maybe almost a generational thing where younger people watching it were like, this isn't our church, and it isn't their church today, but it was my church back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. So it was a window, but I agree with Landon, polarizing. You bet. Okay, and that takes us to our top, uh, our second uh, uh, most important news uh, article of the year, and that's the AP sex abuse scandal that was uh, released by Michael Resendez. He broke it on August 4, 2022. He was part of the AP's uh, global investigative team, and he said seven years of sex abuse, how Mormon officials let it happen. So this particular series, it's really a series of articles. It's not just one, and we're still feeling the fallout from that. It really rocked the church. You know, it peeled back the veil at 
uh, church headquarters and is probably the most passionate news story and maybe in some ways the most important news story as far as ramifications for individual humans are concerned. It, you know, the thing about this is that it's easy to understand article for non-members and members alike. You know, the under the banner of heaven, like you said, Landon, you need a history uh, to really understand that. This is something that anyone can understand. And ex-Mormons in particular, they're feasting on the, uh, on the story and pointing out the flaws in the church. You know, the fallout is continuing over this and the lawsuit is still going on. Uh, you know, and there was multiple church uh, responses, official responses uh, to this particular uh, set, series of reportings, which did very little to stem the tide. Uh, Russell M. Nelson discussed this particular article basically directly in the October General Conference. It, it caused a, a general authority hiatus for 11 days. Uh, President Nelson didn't tweet out after it hit uh, for 11 days. And Michael Resendez, he's not going to go away. And perhaps this is the worst PR story for the church for the entire year. I agree, absolutely. And he's not going to go away. I was in on a few little emails and things behind the scenes, um, kind of with his mindset. And it sort of seems like he believed once these articles came out. And again, Michael Resendez is the reporter from the movie Spotlight, who shone a spotlight on the abuses in the Catholic Church. Um, but I think there was a thought that if he were to reveal these things, that the church might just apologize and make amends. Instead, they attacked him personally. They attacked his reporting. They attacked the AP. They called it shoddy, sloppy. And it's definitely a case of poking the bear. Yeah, you don't do that. He is not going to let it go. And he's definitely mining information from all different kinds of sources to hit this in from different angles. So we haven't seen the last of his articles, and it's going to be ongoing. Yeah, don't don't mess with Michael Resendez. I think mm -hmm. is the lesson that uh, came from this. He he he's a professional, and and he's he, he's going to check his facts. Um, to me, I think the surprising thing to a, a lot of members was the fact that how involved Kurt McConkie is in decision-making within the church with these hotlines, uh, because you, you don't only go to Kurt McConkie for uh, sex scandal abuses, but missionaries that are abused or missionary things, they, they call this same hotline. And the church has these lawyers who are there who really, uh, it seems like are there to watch out for the church and not for the, the membership who, uh, you know, the call is made for. And I, I think that was maybe one of the things that was exposed through this was that the, the church has these this uh, army of lawyers ready to step forward. And, and they they were they're under their uh, uh, they're not under the member. Uh, they're under risk management is, is where they fall under the church. And to be calling for risk management when you've got uh, questions of child abuse, uh, you know, I don't think that was a good optic. Yeah, and somewhat of a breaking news. I know we're releasing this later, but actually in the last day, it, we're seeing signals that this uh, particular case, which is uh, still ongoing, the, the families of the surviving uh, children here, um, the, the, that case is still ongoing in Cochise County in Arizona. And there's some signaling that they may be looking to settle this outside of court and taking it to mediation. So even though this has been ongoing, that I consider that breaking news, but this is going to be released later. But yeah, I mean, this the story is still going. Yeah, yeah it, it's very interesting. And and I thought um, it all seemed like um, they kept adding defendant after they kept adding people to the right. suit. You know, they added the counselors that were answering the phone. They added the lawyers. They added the bishops. They you know, there were just so many people involved. It's just a web that I think is very hard to untangle. And a lot of people just don't even have the stomach for it. They don't even want to try. But other people are trying to dissect it. It's 
Well, and it's it's changing the politics in Utah. Um, we we went to a rally after this uh, at the state capitol. We we were front front page news on the AP on the Washington Post, uh, holding but, up our uh, signs, holding yep. up our sign. But uh, uh, there were a lot of people who were saying, "Why should clergy not have to tell uh, when, when this type of thing happens? Teachers have to tell. Law enforcement has to tell. Why does clergy get a pass on this?" And there are uh, some members of the Utah. Uh, uh, Senate and, and and House that are are bringing forth are going to introduce legislation to make it so that it, they they are required to report in our state whether that passes because as you know the guy who was actually answering the phone in this case was one of the big lawmakers uh, up on the hill he worked for Curtin McConkie but was also right. one of the lead lawmakers on the hill he's no longer there but uh, they they certainly have influence the church does and so whether it can get passed is a is a question, but I think there is a call for that now. Yeah, it really shined a light on priest penitent privilege throughout the entire United States. There's 36 uh, states in which um, you can report if you feel like it for child abuse and other things, but you don't have to. There's only 11 states in which you have to be a mandatory reporter as a as a priest or as a Mormon bishop. And so a lot of people are now, based upon this article, questioning whether people should be mandatory reporters. There's, there's a lot, though, that goes into it. If you make all bishops mandatory reporters, uh, some of the people think that you're going to see a lot less people people who are going to come in and uh, confess to those particular crimes, and therefore they will not be able to receive any help whatsoever. So it's it's not just a slam dunk that says, hey, if we if we eliminate the priest penitent privilege, then you're never going to see anything like this again. If there was no priest penitent privilege in Arizona, maybe he never would have, Mr. Adams never would have gone to his bishops to begin with. So it's a very complicated issue. Yeah, it well, is complicated. It also shows the difference between lay ministry and and yeah. priest ministry, because in this case, the, the man was not only their bishop, but he was also at least the wife's doctor. So yeah. he, he mandatory, he has to report as a doctor. But so how, how does he how, how does he deal with that if it's reported to him because he's required under one case and not required under the other to report? That's true. And also, um, Mr. Adams did confess and abuse didn't stop. If he hadn't confessed, abuse still wouldn't have stopped. So the bottom line is in that scenario, abuse wouldn't have stopped either way because there is that thought that perhaps the confession is more about the person confessing and the help for them and perhaps not victims. So it's it's a big issue that we'll see more of, I'm sure. Yes, and that does take us to our number one uh, news uh, top uh, uh, story of the year. And both of these are uh, very uh, controversial. And this is uh, the statement on the United States Congress Respect for Marriage Act. This was released just in 15 November 2022. And we could just say one last caveat. If there's any breaking news that happens in the next week or so, we're not going to be able to cover that because we've recorded this early. But we assume that these are the top 10 as of now. This was an explosive, unbelievable, confusing, uh, calculated, our, uh, you know, the effect for this are not 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 truly known now this this article in in of itself and, and the associated articles with it this really went viral i mean it really melted the lds web for an entire week every single one of those google alerts that i got for mormon and lds for the next week every single one of them was related to this there were no other articles so this just completely engulfed all lds related stuff it totally dominated the news cycle for at least a week. And was this a masterstroke of church PR or just one confusing muddled mess? That's the question. Yeah, I, I, 
I, I I'm unclear on that because uh, I if the if the church mass if, if the church intended to do this as part of their PR, it was definitely a masterstroke of PR. Uh, so, but I'm not sure if it was the church that made the difference or if it was these news uh, the the news people who just jumped on it and said, "Oh, the church is supporting the marriage." and not realizing that there was this religious exemption in there that the church was really fighting for. And that's why the church supported it was because of the religious exemption. It basically allows them to continue to discriminate against, uh, against gays and LGBT within the church itself and within church schools and within church, they don't, the temples, they don't have to conduct marriages. And so that's what they were supporting. But brilliantly, they come out smelling like a rose as if they're uh, as if they're supporting the, the church marriage act. I, I looked at it. I say the church says we support gay marriage as long as they don't act on it, uh, which has been their policy all along, I think. So. What was your take on that, Rebecca? Well, I, I think it's sad because I have had people say and post, oh, my goodness, finally, it's finally happened. You know, and it hasn't happened. I think yesterday, um, DeVace said it best when he said it's a support. It's not a support of gay marriage. It's a support of a gay marriage bill <laughs> with, with those, you know, added elements. So I think it's sad because I think people are misunderstanding. And I feel like over the holidays, when families get together, that uh, there'll be confusion as people say, see, look, the church does support gay marriage and others who understand it more will try to explain. And and I, I just find it uh, confusing and I think unfortunate that people think something has happened when it really hasn't. Right. If you look at the first sentence, it says the doctrine of the church is re related to marriage between a man and woman is well known and has not changed. That tells you everything that you need to know. If yeah. you were to separate these two portions of the bill, which is the uh, Respect for Marriage Act, which is the front that says that uh, interracial marriage and uh, all the states have to recognize each other's marriages, and we're not going to let Arborfell, uh be overturned. That's basically what the first half is. If you were to have that separate bill by itself without the religious protections in the second half of the bill, the church would not endorse the first half of the bill. Therefore, you cannot say that the church is in support of same-sex marriage. So the, the headlines on this were extremely confusing, and that's because a lot of these uh, uh, persons of other faiths who are news reporters, they don't understand the nuances involved, and it led to a real gigantic mess. <laughs> yep, absolutely agree. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So there's our number one. Um, we're going to have to see what happens. I I'm looking greatly uh, into seeing what's going to happen with this particular bill, which just passed through Congress just a couple of days ago, is headed to President Biden. Um, They've reconciled the two bills together. It looks like, for all intents and purposes, that this is going to be signed into law sometime in the near future. Okay, so there's our top 10. The president's signature at this point, yep. Yeah, so there, there's our top 10. Now, we do have a few runners up here that uh, we want to mention very briefly. We can only spend only two, two minutes on each of these articles, just very briefly. Now, our number one runner up is, uh, and this is from the actual article here, it says Mormon Church IT ransacked data stolen by state-sponsored state cyber thieves. Could you uh, advance the slide there, Landon? Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I particularly was hacked as well. I got an email from the church that the, 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 the state-sponsored cyber thieves, they, they hacked into uh, the church headquarters. Can't believe it. Yeah, this was a big revelation to people, especially post-Mormons, who thought that they had, you know, left that in their rearview mirror, that their records were gone, and they receive an email saying this has happened. Of course, then in the church's defense, the church says, well, this is why we keep your information in case this happens. But I don't know. 
And the, and the fact that it was state sponsored terrorism, you know, that makes you think North Korea, Russia, those they're not interested in baptismal records. I think they're looking at the, the value of the church and they now know that the church has a lot of money and they're trying to find a way to exploit that or, or somehow get in and, and steal some of that money uh, through, through uh, the, the IT infrastructure. Well, I just hope whatever, whoever hacked it, I hope they found those 116 lost pages. That's what I'm really hoping. Yeah. Okay, our next our, our next runner up there is uh, LDSN. And Landon, you brought this up. You said this was maybe a more important article than I gave it weight. And that's LDS poster title, David Archuleta Steps Back from the Church. And is this supposed to be a top 10 article, Landon, or um, just a runner up? Yeah, uh, you know, to me, it was really, I really wanted this in the top 10 uh, because I saw David Archuleta was such a poster child for, for most uh Mormons, especially uh, growing up with, in my my kids' age, that the kids really almost worshipped him. He was an LDS. He was he's he did everything he was taught to do. He went on his mission. He gave up his career to go on his mission. And then the fact that this was picked up by uh, Rolling Stone and by uh, some of the um, national morning oh, news yeah. channels, I, I think this I think this is a game changer. Where one person in the church uh, who was so respected and so looked up to. Uh, is now saying I can't I can't be a part of this church anymore. I don't feel welcome here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, next slide. Can you can you hit that next slide, Landon? There you go. Yeah. yeah. On and, People and I'm Magazine. sure it's an ongoing story as he continues to perform and continues to be more comfortable in his views. I mean, right now they're just saying stepping back, but there may be a day where, like Tyler Glenn, he releases an album that's, you know, very uh very anti we'll see what happens but i like him i've seen him i've i've talked to him before and, and he's an awesome guy and and we all wish him the best so you bet now our next third runner up here is uh the most important celebrity who waded into uh mormonism that's jk rowling mocks joseph smith how dare she <laughs> unbelievable yeah i don't think she knew uh you know the kind of feedback she would get from that what she stepped into but it was interesting to follow her tweets because you know she was kind of joking about the witnesses not having seen any of the plates and then people corrected her and then she said oh well let me look this up and literally three minutes later she's like ah oh spiritual you know she kind of debunked everything within three minutes it was very interesting to see her trajectory <laughs> Yeah, I, I tweeted back to her, silence, he fiend of the eternal pit. You know? As you should have. No. That's right. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke you. That's okay? right. No, I, di I didn't do that. I didn't do that. Yeah, yeah she, um, <laughs> but she was, the. I think she's the biggest celebrity who kind of uh, waded into Mormonism. I, I can't think of a bigger one except for maybe Zach Wilson. But since he got benched, uh, maybe he's not as big as her, probably. Yeah. But yeah. there was a big article in the Trib about it. And I actually, I had made up some titles um, kind of melding uh, Mormonism and their titles of her books, like, you know, Joseph Smith and the Seer Stone, things like that, you know, um, Joseph Smith and the, or, uh, the Order of the Priesthood, you know, they were silly titles. But yeah, I think people had some fun with it. But, you know, it was kind of the two worlds coming together. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone in the hat. Yeah, exactly. I, like that. Yeah. I think who who knows Joseph Smith's mind better than J.K. Rowley. They both made up books of uh, of people with uh, magical wow. powers. So, <laughs> Hey, I believe in the Harry Potter universe. I demand that you take that back this instant. That's right. Okay? I believe in Harry Potter, too. I have a firm That's testimony right. of yeah. Harry Potter. I will defend Harry Potter to the death. <laughs> 
You betcha. Now, our, our fourth runner up here is the President Young's uh, uh, President, excuse me, President Nelson Young Adult Devotional back in May. This was his most, in my opinion, his most important address of the year. And it really gave you a glimpse into uh, how he thinks, how he operates and also his particular rapport. He cracked a lot of jokes in this one. He was laid back. I think you really he was very comfortable and you really got to see the person that he is. And now, it was only a 30 minute talk, but I still think it's the most important talk of the year. Yeah, it was big. It was huge. I had two young adult children that attended, and there were thousands standing outside the conference center waiting to get in. People passed out in the heat. You know, it was a it was a huge event. They had to get in. So, and and my kids found it very meaningful and really appreciated everything that President Nelson said. So I agree, it was big. Hey, they didn't have to clean up the chapel toilets afterwards, right? Though, did they? They. You know, I don't know. All oh. I know is a lot of people passed out from lack of water, and they were oh, they boy. were very hot. It was a very hot day in May. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Okay. So there's our four runner-ups. Uh, any? Uh, now we have a couple of honorable mentions here, and uh, th this next one is perhaps the most interesting talk mm -hmm. of the year. And this was the Brad Wilcox at Tri-State Fireside, uh, which exposed his deep-seated harmful ideologies. Uh, what do you think of this article, uh, Landon? Yeah. No. The Wilcox uh, it, it blew up, uh, especially in the post-Mormon community. Yeah. Uh, you know the the statement that. Why did the why did the the question is why did the blacks not why did the whites not get the priesthood for so long that was was his point and that just really blew up I think it kind of shows the mindset there uh, that people don't understand what the what the blacks and what the LBGTQ community now is going through that the top leadership just does not does not comprehend or understand that. Yeah, and this, this I believe, was the biggest story in the post-Mormon world. In fact, just last night, I was chatting with Radio Free Mormon, and I asked him, you know, what he thought the bigger biggest story, and he said the Wilcox was the big one. So if you want the RFM stamp of approval, this would have been number one, just as far this as the impact in the post-Mormon world. And the post-Mormon world, though, is very small. This wasn't picked up by a lot of large news uh, right. articles. Right. It, it is perhaps the most interesting article of the year, but not right. the most important. Now, no, our and next it happened. It happened no. just a mile from where I live. And the next day I went and I snapped a selfie in front of the building just for posterity. I was standing here where the address happened. Well, Rebecca, you should have been at the Tri-State Fireside to begin with. And you know? why was I not? I yeah. question that. I do. I question it as well. <laughs> uh, our second honorable mention is uh, uh, the Joseph Smith Golden Statue unveiled in India's World Peace Dome. The memes, they just wrote themselves on this one, didn't they? Oh, no, nothing said golden calf uh, like this so when you saw that giant golden statue. And uh, I think a lot of a lot of people were standing by going, Joseph Smith, world, one of the main contributors to world peace. Uh, someone please name me that. Uh, Martin Luther King isn't even in this uh, this dome. <laughs> Uh, so that that shows you. Uh, I, I think someone pulled the wool over the uh, the eyes of these people when they came and visited in Salt Lake, uh, because you know when you look at Joseph Smith, he was he was in jail for treason for starting the Missouri War. Uh, he had guns and were shooting as they came into the jail. Uh, you Danites. know, Danites. <laughs> he started the Danites. Yes, it's like uh, where, where's the peaceful Joseph? I I didn't get it. So I think it caused a lot of confusion upon those who really know Joseph. And, Rebecca, and I thought you it was interesting oh, that um, Elder Christofferson and his wife um, went out to uh, be there at the unveiling and they participated in this entire uh, ceremony. And there's some pictures of that. And one of my favorite things that Elder Christofferson said, you know, as he stands 
gazing adoringly up at the 15 foot golden Jesus is, I mean, sorry, golden Joseph is, we just want to make sure everyone understands we worship Jesus, not Joseph. Yet there he is standing under the statue. So yeah, some interesting photo ops I thought there. Yeah, the memes, the memes are right themselves on this one. And that does take us to our final honorable mention. And for you two, this is arguably the most important article of the year. And that's the inspired launch of the Mormonish podcast. Hashtag stone cut out of the mountain. Yeah, it's definitely rolling forward. Absolutely. One subscriber at a time. So thank you for including us in that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Being part of being part of Mormon News Roundup is definitely a step forward in that rolling, rolling forth of the stone cut out of the mountain. Oh, it's a highlight. <laughs> it's a highlight of our year for sure. Absolutely. This has been really fun. Yeah. You bet. Well, thanks so much for being a part of it. I appreciate it. And, and thanks for helping me shape my ideas and make them better. Hopefully I got these uh, top 10 up. Uh, pretty close to correct. And, and with y'all's help, I think we got a lot closer. Yeah, no, I love it. And I hope that everybody comments uh, both on Mormonish, where we're going to release this and also on Mormon News Roundup. And tell us what you think the top 10 were. I mean, there were so many things that happened this year. It was a very big year. So please comment and let us know your thoughts. I think we have ruminated properly on the great and spacious beehive, as we like to say in the Mormon News Roundup. And no unhallowed hand will stop either one of these uh, podcasts from progressing. Absolutely. We can only hope. That's right. Well, everyone have a wonderful end of the year and happy 2023 from Mormonish and from Mormon News Roundup and from Mormonish News Roundup, our mashup. We may have to do it again next year, too. I think this was really fun. So, so long. Happy, happy New, New year. year, everybody.